Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. is will holden and today i am joined by mark wall how are you doing chief i'm good mate thank you very good and i'm also joined by andy melbourne how are you sir i am a-okay thanks buddy very nice this week uh they're your choices and uh we should begin as always with the film which this week you have picked the sound of metal from 2019 uh directed by darius marder it stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, Paul Racy, amongst others. And the synopsis goes like this. A heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. Andy, tell us a little bit about your choice. Not much to tell, to be honest. I just... Uh, I Thanks very know. much. <laughs> yeah, catch you guys later. <laughs> uh, no, I just picked a film off my like to watch list. I think I've said before, I don't really like finding much out about films before I watch them. Like if if it looks interesting to me, I sort of avoid trailers and stuff. I agree I with that. I can't yeah. remember where I saw this. Like I might have been I've seen half a trailer or I don't know, heard about it. Whatever. Didn't know much about it. I remember it getting some press when it came out. Yeah, thought it looked worth a watch. So here we are. Super. Marco, do you want to give us your opening uh, your opening argument? Yeah, I can do. Um, it's a difficult film to say I liked because it's not kind of enjoyable per se due to the due to the subject matter. Obviously, it was a tough kind of uncompromising watch, but you know that's probably why it works to the extent that it does. It's certainly you know it's not a Hollywood film. Let's put it that way. But I think. You know, it's it's something we've said many times. I, I think I can sort of appreciate it more than I actually actively enjoyed it. Sure. Um, it was so bloody depressing, frankly. And, like, you know, sometimes you can sort of wallow in that and get caught up in it. And I do think it was effectively put together and certainly very well acted. But I don't know that I liked it all, all that much. I think I agree with you quite a lot on that 
the positives were that I thought the acting was pretty strong throughout. I think Riz Ahmed is really, really good in it. Uh, I think Paul Racy as Joe uh, is really good as probably the second most prominent character. Um, Olivia Cook, when she's in it as Lou, I think is good, but she's in it less than I sort of expected from the opening, the opening stuff. But it's it's kind of a character piece, and it's not particularly plot driven. And if I'm honest, I'm a kind of plot plot kind of guy. And uh, it's like as as you said, Mark, it, I, I appreciate it. I think it's it's well made. I think some of the sound design stuff is super effective in showing what it might be like to be deaf uh, in tons of situations. Um, I think. The characters are pretty good. The, the slight exception, like I, I agree with you, it, it's, it comes across as sort of a bleak, quite depressing tale. And yet I found a lot of the times like conflicts were resolved incredibly quickly and without too much. It might have been a matter of pacing of the film, but I, I feel like most things kind of turned out all right for him. It, it, now, too much. Uh, conflict being involved i don't know that i i know where you're coming from i i don't know that i agree that things turn out all right for him but um yeah what did you think andy i guess similar-ish uh opinions i i didn't find it i don't know really i i actually did enjoy watching it like i can't say that i didn't i totally agree with you well like i think uh the acting was excellent um especially riz ahmed I think it's the sort of film, like you say, it is a character piece. I think two things sort of make it that could have break it. Breakened it. Breakened it. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's so much about Riz Ahmed's character, Ruben, that a worse performance and it would have been so much a worse film. Like obviously your main actor, you know, has a huge impact on on how good the film is, but like especially in sort of, real character type thing like this. And like you say, sound engineering as well. Like um, sound's obviously going to be important when the film is focused around sound and a loss of hearing and things like that. I still enjoyed it. It, it is kind of a bit depressing, but I didn't get super wrapped up in it. So I felt miserable throughout watching it. Um, and it hasn't really stayed with me either. But I think the execution of like a pretty simple idea, like a metal drummer who loses his hearing and, you know, struggles with the the massive impact that that has on his life, obviously, is, um, yeah, like an interesting idea, but it's nothing particularly sort of new and there's no twists and turns in the plot or anything. But, but yeah, very good execution. I think one of the aspects that is interesting but i did find kind of depressing as well you know taking taking his hearing out of it completely to be honest is uh probably one of the most effective scenes in the film for me was when he's sort of lying in bed with um his girlfriend i forget her name sorry lou lou yep thank you and uh yeah she obviously starts like scratching her arm again mm -hmm. and it's that realization for him. And I didn't really know how to fully read it. I mean, obviously he's just like, well, I need to let her go basically. She's better off without me kind of thing. But I think the implication was to some extent that even when 
he had his hearing, that was still the case. It's always been the case. Maybe. I think she found a good life. You don't really get a huge amount of backstory, do you, about... You get little little bits, but I think it becomes less and less about their relationship until, I say, it kind of tries to rekindle it in the end. And actually, my take was that they were pretty good for each other for the most part. Like, I think she's found a better life by the end of the film, but... The they comment that like they were been together for four years and they've both been clean for four years, so I kind of got that impression that they were the they were each other's support in getting through addiction, and the, at least kind of they were broadly happy in their life prior to him losing his hearing. That was my read anyway. Yeah, I quite like the scene as well with um, with her dad. Uh, yeah, your boy, your boy Mark. Yep, there he is. Yeah, Matteo Almerich. Almerich. Yeah. Um, yeah, I quite like the scene where he's talking about their relationship as well. I, I think mm-hmm. that there were, that's what I mean. Like, it is a kind of depressing film, I guess, but there is enough sort of positive moments in it that I didn't wallow my way through it. Like, his his description of their relationship was was quite... I don't know, without having that kind of backstory, I guess, like that scene I felt gave most of the the kind of backstory that you needed, at least from his perspective. Yeah, I just think it was the fact that it's his driving motivation throughout the entire film to kind of get himself sorted so he can get his old life back, I suppose. And then there's that acceptance where he realises that that can't be the case. but. And that, I guess that's why it's depressing because he says, like, you see all the scenes in the middle, which I really liked when, you know, the kind of slightly heartwarming stuff, I guess, where he's hmm. with the kids and all of that and learning how to be deaf and how to be constructive and positive and build relationships with people and all that stuff's really nice. But then he comes to that decision that that's not enough and he wants to go back to what he had before and then accepting that he couldn't do that. So I kind of feel like it leaves it open, obviously. It's a great ending shot. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know where he's left at the end. I, I kind of read it quite bleakly, really. I, I, I Well, my read, at least, is that he, he would go back to Joe and the commune. And like I'd, I, I didn't think that when he was sort of turfed out, to be honest, for, for making the decision to get his uh, cochlear implant that it was a forever thing like that he would be welcome back but not with the implants you know he can't it's a bad message to everybody else trying to uh, learn the lesson that it isn't well as joe puts it it's not something that needs to be fixed and i kind of bought into that as well as as you say those really kind of upbeat moments in the middle where he he seems to have found somewhere that he belongs and there's a moment where joe kind of offers him sort of permanent residence to be a teacher and be an employee. And at that point of the film, I thought that just seems so perfect. Like he seems really happy in this. And although you're right, the music is the driving force. It actually makes up quite a small amount of the film. Like it doesn't, there's them playing at the beginning. There's a bit where he's kind of teaching the kids to drum a little bit. And then obviously there's a bit where he sort of tries to reclaim it at the end, but throughout his most of his life at the commune, it sort of takes a back seat. It's not just the music. I think it was his relationship 
as much, but I, I guess they were tied into each other. Yeah, I'd say that. Like, I think he saw it as something that was tied in together. And then by the end of the film, I guess you kind of get the idea that maybe they're not and that he can have one without the other. Like, his relationship can still exist without him being a drummer. Yeah. And, and that, you know, perhaps she's moved on from that part of her life as well. I, I didn't actually spend a huge... It's what I say about it not staying with me. Like, I didn't spend a huge amount of time thinking about the ending, to be honest. Like, I agree with you. I, I like the ending. I didn't spend a huge amount of time thinking about what it meant or what was happening kind of after the film had finished, I guess. I think it was just him accepting being yeah. deaf, effectively. Yeah, in yeah of course, terms. yeah. It's, it's just that you don't know whether, like Will says, does he go back to the commune? Does he yeah, stay we, with we Lou? Does he, like... But, yeah, I never really thought about that. Like, it's such a... Mm. Nice, nice sort of landing. Again, the use of sound in that sort of last scene is really, really nice. Yeah. The use of it, like, throughout when he first goes deaf and everything's incredibly mumbly, I think. Um, I mean, even just I've had a really blocked ear and it is quite a quite an effective resemblance of that. I don't yeah. know, obviously, what it's, what it's really like to go deaf in, in various different ways. But there's that. When he gets the implant and the sound... As as he hears it, and that's heartbreaking. That scene, yeah, uh, yeah. When the doctor first turns it on, and he's just like, it's, "It sounds bad. It's, uh, this is bad." <laughs> and he's he's phenomenal in those moments as well because it's just all on his face, and he sells it so well. He's got a lot of good, yeah, like real good facial expression work where just an eye'll twitch or mm -hmm. something, and it's yeah. No, the he was of, excellent. The kind of range as well, like with it being a kind of like character piece so he's really good in there you know like the scenes with the kids and things like that yeah, as 100%. well like i think it's in that very thing though that i i just i didn't quite buy or it didn't feel quite right his immediate desire to kind of get the implants and move on when it appeared that he'd accepted the life and become happy in it um and I think that's probably due to its nature as not being necessarily plot driven. Like how it gets to A to B isn't as important as the events that happen at each step. But I can't lie and say that it didn't leave me a little bit kind of ruffled because I, I I like plot. <laughs> I just I think that that's a very normal reaction. Like it doesn't matter how well. Like, can you imagine living without hearing? Like, it doesn't matter how well you manage to adjust your life that you could live with that. Like you would still, the perfect life is with hearing. I bought into Joe's ideal. It's not something that needs to be fixed. It's in the mind, not in the ears. Well, I'm not saying that he's not right. I'm just saying like you you have hearing as a sense and like music and things like that is such an important part of like yeah, our lives and him as a musician. And so like it, it, however you adapt, I think like the knowledge that there is the possibility of a fix, I think it's very normal reaction to just that be the thing that you focus on mm, i don't know it just it felt like it it that became such a back seat to the what else was going on that i'd not forgotten what like where it started but it just didn't seem to matter as much anymore and i knew lou of course would appear again and, and there would be something would happen whether it was kind of positive or negative but i don't know it just it, it sort of felt a little bit out of the blue when it happened from where the where the film was at that time. I'm not quite sure what my score is going to be. 
I do think it's a film where the highs weren't super, super high for me and the lows weren't. Like, I don't have any big criticisms either, really. But also the kind of high points of them were just that I thought, you know, Riz Ahmed was exceptional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there isn't huge yeah. highs. There are a couple of scenes that I really liked, but... Yeah, I found myself kind of getting caught up in the emotional bits yeah. of, of some scenes. But I think, again, you're right that it's Riz Ahmed that sold that. I, th- I think I just found it not only depressing, but also just terrifying. It was very effective at covering the subject matter it wanted to cover, but, you know, it's a stupid thing to say, but it's like I kind of knew becoming deaf would be crap before watching the film, and it just sort yeah. of emphasises that. I think it's interesting. I came out with a much more positive message of this idea of kind of... You're ready for it, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not bringing it on, but I just I think it presented a world in which... Like, there's a life after hearing. I kind of saw his life in the commune as quite positive. I like, the fact is, you're hearing, it won't come back, it never will. And I think the acceptance of that, I don't see as necessarily a negative thing for this character. You're absolutely right. Like, the idea of deafness, blindness, any sort of loss of bodily function is is terrifying. And it must be an absolute ordeal to, to go through. But yeah, I found the, the message here a bit more positive than that. I don't think that's, it was intended the... to scare. It was intended to... He didn't accept it, though. That That's that's why it, it feels so depressing to me, because ultimately he didn't accept it. But I think he like, does at the end. I think that scene is him accepting it, but it's in a... Even Joe talks about, like, did you ever find that moment of peace? And I think that's exactly when he finds it. Yeah, that, that was a, a nice allusion to the ending, I think. I'd say that the film is showing his struggle to come to terms with it as opposed to him just absolutely rejecting it. Like, there's no suggestion at the end that he would ever, you know, life isn't worth living without hearing or it's... And and things like, I guess, I think Will's right in things like the dinner scenes where when he first gets there, there's kind of... You get the idea of, like, a normal raucous dinner scene, but it's silent, like, it's, it's... you know, there is like big conversations going across the dinner table. They're just all done with sign language. And then, you know, later on, Ruben's part of that. And it, it, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think like there is a sort of little uplifting element to it, even if Ruben hasn't sort of fully accepted that yet. Yeah, I don't think it's either intending to be like super positive or sort no. of super terrifying i think it's it's supposed to be a fairly balanced um i was going to say i did some research but i lied catherine did some research and found that the the kind of cochlear implants are quite argued about in the deaf community from what i understand and i think this shows quite a fair picture of both sides of the argument i think in the end i, th- I don't think it comes down super positively on implants like he clearly doesn't like having them but um I thought it was reasonably kind of fair with that. I thought it was quite good that when he first arrived, there was no subtitles for the sign language. And as he learned, the subtitles came up. I think, again, you you see a lot of it from Ruben's point of view, from the sound, from that lack of understanding. Like there are conversations, as you say, at the dinner table that you as the audience don't know, unless you happen to you know, know sign language, but I'm following along with it. Neither is Ruben and you catch up as he catches up. And as he's comfortable with signing, then you get the subtitles. And I thought that was effective of, of 
again, making you feel part of Ruben's story. It's funny, I was thinking, like, there is a few, like, quite a few scenes that I really like, but the more we talk about it, the more, actually, there's a lot of scenes that I like. Like, the the phone call early on, when he's calling his, is his sponsor? I guess so, Hector. Yeah, who puts, puts him in touch with uh, with Paul, with mm-hmm. Joe. With Joe, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's a really good scene as well, when it's like sort of helplessly talking to him on the phone without, like you can't hear the other side of the phone call, and obviously he can't because of his, like, well, complete deafness at that point. Yeah, a one-sided conversation that nobody can hear. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I am going to find it a little bit tricky to Mark, I think. I think, as we've said quite a lot, the double-pronged, kind of big positives of this film are Riz Ahmed and the and the sound design and I think they carry quite a lot for me um I did find it a bit more upbeat than uh than I guess you did Marco but as you say it's not something I like particularly yeah enjoyed <laughs> really really stretching this out um but I think I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a s- I'm really stuck between a six and a seven. I just can't make up my mind. I'm going to give it a six. It goes against my nature of being uber positive, but it does. That, yeah, I think I think that feels very surprised. Stop I think that's why I was numbers, so you're going casting negative. I know. I think that's why I was in such conflict. I think I know six is the right number, but I could just give it a seven. It'd be nice. I could give it a <laughs> ten, mate. Do what you want. That's too nice. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick on a six. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it was very, very well executed, and and I did enjoy it. Like I say, like I, I'm, I'm not as uh, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't get caught up in the misery quite as much as as Mark did. Like I enjoyed the watching process, and yeah, I thought it was really well executed. So yeah, get seven. Superb. What are you going for, Mark? Yeah, six for me. Cool. <laughs> Straight Stay down the line. <laughs> no explanation I... offered. <laughs> I just, it, there's no point because I, I can't talk myself up and I just talk myself down. So I'm, I'm just going six. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's like revelatory cinema or anything like that. I just think nope. it's a, a solid character drama which was well as you said you, you've, you've said it all you know <laughs> yeah. Riz Ahmed is great the sound design is great subject matter is depressing and not that not that of interest to me because of those reasons fair play right so let's move on to your album uh, and that album is I Megaphone by Imogen Heap from 1998 it has 11 songs and it is 48 minutes and 40 seconds long
Andy, tell us about your album. Yeah, I think I mentioned Imogen Heap a couple of weeks ago and Mark said it'd be a good pick. So I picked it entirely on the basis of that. <laughs> I love Imogen Heap, but um, out of her four proper albums, this is like this is the first album and it's probably the one I listened to the least, which is partly why I picked mm-hmm. it. Um, I think it's it's definitely like a finding finding your sound sort of an album. There's a small part of me that thinks that one or maybe both of you might hate it. I might have to defend it a bit because there are lots of bits of it that are pretty on the nose, like power pop cheese. Mm-hmm. But I don't That's know. I, ju- I, I just think there's every song has at least like one interesting, unusual element or bit to it. And yeah, I don't mind if I have to defend it a little bit. Sure thing. I think you're right. I think this is a bit of an outlier for her general sound. Um, it's, I think for the most part, it feels a bit like a grunge album in disguise. I think there are like the melodies picked. It's quite guitar heavy, although I'd wager maybe there's like mostly sampling going on. I don't know. I, I'm more familiar with uh, Imogen Heap later, more electronic. I don't really know the answer to that. I don't think it's sampling. Um, right. I don't know how much of it is process sounds, and I don't know. I did look up the magi- uh, the, the magicians, the musicians <laughs> on the album, and um, there's basically when there's live drums, there's a couple of drummers that play, and um, there's a like live bassist on like three tracks. Right. Uh, and that's it. So I, I presume she, everything else is either programmed by her or played live in some way her. produced by her <laughs> yeah i appreciate that the album name is an anagram of her name i'd say uh so that's a, a strong album name i quite like most of this album i think it plays it plays into my like rock grunge appeal but i also like imogen heaps voice and I do like a lot of the melodies she picks. There are some songs in here that I just, I plain don't like and sort of ended up being a little bit of skippers on my repeat listens. But I think it slants just about in the, kind of into the um, positive ratio of likes to dislikes. But yeah, I got on quite well with this and uh, never a chore to have a re-listen. It was nice to go and listen to some other stuff occasionally and like come back to it, but Never felt like I had to force myself to listen to it anyway. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with any of our other stuff. Um, I thought it was great. <laughs> I don't know why there was a expectation that it may fall into the negative. It's definitely got a 90s tint to it, production-wise, massively. And in fairness, I think the first song... Is one of my least favourites. I don't think that's a very strong starter at all. I completely and, agree. And I think it's like one of the most popular songs off the album. Like it yeah, like, I don't, I don't think that. a lot of this album got a lot of like airplay or like was commercially mm. successful at all. It was made with a record label that went bust afterwards. So she was it had no marketing and was let from his contract. And I think like oh, this the first track was one that actually got, you know 
played a, co- a bit of air, like airplay and uh, and you know, in a got... series or something. I think it's yeah, probably my least favorite song too, or at least one of two. It's got one nice piano bit in there. I think you're right though that even the weaker songs tend to have moments, and I don't think there's that many weak ones. I have to say, I'm. I think how many songs is it? Eleven, twelve. Eleven, eleven, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't really skip any of them. I mean, I tend to listen to the first, even though I don't massively like it because it's the first. But yeah, there's a couple which aren't quite as strong, and I don't think there's any truly like, oh my god, this is bloody amazing, this song. But it's just consistently good. I, you know, there's one or two songs where you could probably lose a minute, frankly. Like they did, they tend to go on a little bit, but then she does loads of interesting stuff with sound and like just background noises and weird, quirky little parts. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I only hear the grunge thing on about two or three songs. Frankly, I don't, I don't get the the grunge comparison. Oh, I do, I do get it, but I agree, it's not, it's not throughout it. I, I, oh, I think I've said before about this album to people that I think it's got a bit of like teen angst about it mm-hmm. it's not necessarily through the like grunge sound like some of the lyrics as well but I think a couple of my favorite songs like Useless and Angry Angel they're yeah they sort of have a slightly more like grungy like chorus to them so I, I can I can definitely see it but yeah it's not across the whole the whole album for sure yeah there's no, there's so fair. many so many comparisons is is kind of pointless i mean like you know basically any female singer songwriter who plays the piano can be cited alanis morissette like the first song made me worry about this was going to be like bloody republica or garbage um which it isn't like the rest of the album absolutely isn't but yeah i i don't know i didn't it didn't come across as like a bad pastiche or anything to me at all I just you know she was doing her thing and I enjoyed it it goes all over the place as well I really like her piano playing yeah some of the like really really fast arpeggios that come in at times where it's like like a little bit of a (laughs) little bit of chaos almost Mm -hmm. are really really cool they work for me yeah it's just those odd moments in song where you you'll have like I don't know, like useless, for example. Like the the chorus is really, like I say, like power pop. I like that. I like that. That's not <laughs> not a criticism. But then the the verses are kind of they've got that weird thing that I think is a sample actually with the vocals and then a bass line. Yeah, the absolute like classic trick that I love of just having a bass line that just hits a groove and the rest of the mu- music kind of moves above it and it stays sort of centered yeah. it, it makes a bit of like with that and then the actual vocals it sort of makes a quite discordant kind of verse i think every song even if it's just like the middle eight will just be a bit weird <laughs> it'll just have a weird breakdown uh, yeah there's a bit of discordant or angry angel the, yeah like this the second chorus i think like the second repeat of that has it moves away from the power chords and it has the the big like held vocals like backing vocals that move up and then it has like weird little like interspersed electronic 
like panned sounds that just sort of smash in for a second and disappear. They're just, they're just cool little bits. Like, and even if the songs are pretty, yeah, kind of poppy, which some of them mm-hmm. are, those little little breaks always make me think like this is just more interesting than similar stuff. I think that's fair. I'm in, into that. I'm uh, I'm not quite as down on the first song. Like I I agree it's not my favorite, and I don't think it's a great opener. But it's not um, it's not one of my least favorite on the album. I didn't uh, I guess I didn't mean the kind of grunge thing to come uh, to be a negative. <laughs> that's that's not I like, and uh, I find it just in some of the in the melodies um, that she chooses to sing have uh, I don't know what I might call a slight pearl jam quality on occasion, but. I completely agree with you, Andy. Like, I think the interest in all of the little, I think actually you mentioned it earlier, Mark, as well, like the, just the quirks in everything all the time that keep those more basic pop songs a little bit more interesting. As I say, I think there's a handful that just didn't totally work for me. But when it did... Uh, Name and shame. Yeah. Um, I'm not huge on Shine. I think it's, I think it's all right. Um, I like that one. Whatever reminded me of like um, sort of like nineties house. What? And I was that like, sounds was like, awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, sorry, I'm team Mark again. That's all right. You can, you can gang up. <laughs> um, Candlelight wasn't wasn't huge on either. Candlelight's the other one that it, it, it probably just about crosses that line where it is. And I can't think of a good example, but. I can only think of Vanessa Carl- Carlton <laughs> as a female piano player, but where it just crosses over into a little bit too much, just generic. Yeah, and Apple. Yeah. And I like think Tori yeah. Amos. Oh, piano Apple, I don't mind. Listening to some well, I don't mind those people. I'm just naming female artists who play the piano. Yeah. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like it, it sort of it crosses over where it actually, I don't think, has enough of the interesting elements to it, but it's not bad. Yeah, I've got no objections to it. I, I really like whatever they out of the ones you mentioned. I think that's got like a killer groove. I really like the lo-fi guitar sound. It's very similar to like early Eels um, production-wise. It's a kind of dig. Yeah, and no, it yeah. just didn't didn't sit with me that one. Bad memories of the nineties. Yeah, I I'm older, so I <laughs> bet, bet you had better I, memories. I liked um, the kind of slightly nightmarish circus Eastern European vibe of like sweet religion and to some extent rake it in. Yeah, that and the outro like, to rake it in is rad. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the big like circus, circus middle eight bit is uh, super cool in rake it in. It's ace. And I really like all the kind of vocal harmony and everything on uh, Come Here Boy. Um. Come here, boys. Just that I really became slightly obsessed with that song. Yeah, it's top. Yeah, it's a cool track. I can't really tell you why, but it really, I mean, not to give away the favourite song a bit too early, but it really became the standout for me, like, early on. Always enjoyed getting to that point of the album. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't, as I said, I don't really think there's many dips at all for me. I like the closer as well. I it's really an effective like closing track. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, I think it, that thing you said earlier about the kind of found sounds and things like that—it's the—it's uh, the best for that. It's 
like a, a sort of like fairly simple like piano led ballad with mm-hmm. uh with yeah nice bit of like orchestrated strings but yeah just a load of like found sounds in the background just adding like textures and stuff and a really like floaty floaty vocal line yeah it's super nice and i really like the the fake strings yeah you know the, there's like a cello like clear synth cello with like a load of reverb on it but it it just fits like perfectly i'm interested to listen to her other stuff i did listen to a few bits here and there and the idea that i get is that you know she goes away from anything organic like there's far less piano and stuff and i find that very disappointing to hear if that is the case is there anything like whatever on the other albums i get the sense that there's a couple of tunes on here which are just kind of one-offs I don't know. It's hard to say. I, Will's right in that she probably moves to a more like electronic kind of bedded sound, but there is definitely like her her fourth album. There's some like piano led tracks on that. In fact, eclipses as well. No, I I think it's varied. <laughs> I don't think okay. I don't think there's as much like teen angst and the things that no. Will is saying are like grunge elements. They probably don't happen. Um, what I listened to sounded like generally smoother and cleaner, like production-wise, particularly. Yeah, yeah that's fair to say. So yeah. she's like very, very hot on like new technologies and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually saw her live once by accident. I was at, uh, at a festival and I didn't know who Imogen Heap was. I wandered into a tent and she was just on her own, surrounded by like just mountains of machinery. And uh, that's cool. Yeah, she was really great. Like, I didn't know any of the songs or anything. Like, I didn't know who she was. So it was just a point of watching somebody be really, really good at, like, being a like, modern one-man band. I know she's... Um, well, I think one of the ideas of Sparks was, like, utilising some kind of different, like, technological thing on each track. I know that she had worked with a company that made these, like sort of interactive gloves basically so she could like mm. trigger different sounds with different movements and things like that like, i guess in a similar sort of way that you do with like loop pedals and stuff like that but yeah they're mm-hmm. all, it's all like triggered through like dance and movement essentially which is a cool way to perform something live but yeah i think yes. there's stuff like that all the all the time and i'm not saying they always work but i think it's a super cool idea I think like the performance art idea yeah, is rad. Like it makes it makes going to see somebody like this live worthwhile. Where when it is quite electronic, sort of you know you feel like well, am I just going to watch somebody put a record on? <laughs> yeah, but, but I think the, the fact the fact the, that she makes it, it interesting to watch and produces it in front of you rather than just you know sets out some samplers and presses play, I think is super cool. I remember reading on. I think it was on the Wikipedia. But I, I think it says on there that, like, the comparison between, I think it might have been, well, a small reset, but it was somebody of that ilk anyway. And um, Imogen Heap being quite vocal as to being like, I didn't know who she was when I wrote the songs and I don't like her now and I don't get the comparison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that attitude. <laughs> it's just fair enough. <laughs> I mean, personally, I wouldn't see that as a uh, particular negative. Either. No, 
but I like the immediate, like, with the angsty, angsty lyrics, the angsty response. I don't know who you are. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Shall we score? Sure. Yeah, let's go for it. Do you want to take us away, Marco? Yeah, I mean, it's the classic half-point scenario. In your situation, though, Will. Yeah, I mean, it's between a seven and an eight for me. I, I think I'm going to have to have to be on the harsh side and go with the seven. That's interesting, because I'm sort of swimming around the same figure, but I feel that you liked it quite a bit more than I did. Maybe not quite a bit more, that's unfair, because... Um, I think when the songs do work, and I say there's only like maybe three on there that I'm less fussed about, I really like them, and Come Here Boy especially, I like uh, a great deal. Um, and would probably listen to that song independently quite a lot. But I think, yeah, I'm, I'm about a seven as well, and it, um, I think we've come at it from different angles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could go up. You know, time will tell. But yeah, I, I don't, as I said before, I think that the one thing is, is there's there's not many just like wow moments for me. I just think it's consistently good. Hmm. I think that sounds like a seven. I think maybe some of the highs are slightly higher for me, but some of the dips are slightly dippier, but I kind of even out at the same place. What are you saying, Andy? I'm going to give it an eight. I think I'd probably come in previous to this week thinking it was a seven. I still like it as an album and I've listened to it a lot, but it's hard when you when it's an artist that you just prefer their other stuff because it mm-hmm. always makes you think like, oh, if I give this an eight, like, what am I giving to other albums? But yeah, it's just, it's gone up for me this week, essentially. I've really enjoyed listening to it. For for me, like, yeah, the when it really hits the big choruses and I'm completely sold by it, they're the, the kind of wow moments, even if they are. Agreed. Like pretty, pretty cheesy. Like say, like useless. I, I love when it hits the, the big chorus in that. So yeah, I've gone up this week. Gonna give it an eight. Lovely stuff. Okay, so let's move on to your top five list, Andy. And this week it is a unique version of the top five list. You tasked us to create a five-piece band with vocals, guitar, bass, drums, and a wild card with the primary objective being that the band should work together as a single unit. Fantasy band, if you will. You guys are going to fucking crucify me for... I'll be honest, it, it may well be deserved. I don't know what I was thinking, but I just started <laughs> down a certain road. <laughs> oh man, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I think... Mark suggested giving them a name as well, but I think if we uh, if we spin out a little little description of our band, and uh, and then we fill it with the uh, with the members, and right. we're switching up the order, aren't we, a little bit? Because it's uh, maybe an advantage to go first if we're fighting for the same people. Mm-hmm. We can't be in two fantasy bands. That's that's madness. Where would we find insane. the time? <laughs> okay. Uh, my band is a sort of post-punk indie band of the 80s, 90s conglomerate time frame. I'm going to start, maybe predictably, 
with my bass player. And it can be no one else but XTC's Colin Moulding. I've got him in primarily as bass player. He is a vocalist and can support with some backing vocals. But his big job is holding down those sweet bassy tones. Uh, he's a pretty melodic player for a bass player, like holds quite a lot of melody and uh, sometimes harmonies in XTC's music, which is already fucking rad. So he's a welcome, welcome first member to my band. He wrote some of the best songs as well. Dan Tootin. So yeah, he may, he may be primary songwriter, but I've got a few others in here that could, uh, maybe there'll be some squabbles. Maybe that's why my band won't work. Too many head chefs. <laughs> Packed it with songwriters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. Good start anyway, Will. I'll also save the name because I haven't got one, so I'll come up with one on the fly. But I could have picked this as a like comfort pick. I'd love a bit of, um, I guess, like sort of low-volume funk. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like acoustic funk or where it's all kind of groove and vibe based. I don't, I'm not having, I've not got a huge, massive like horn section playing with them or it's just, uh, yeah, it could potentially be all on like acoustic instruments, but, but yeah, it's a kind of funk soul sort of vibe. And my first pick, I'm going to go with a vocalist and it's not somebody who is from that world. And he's, he's pretty much the only one, but big more we like, man. Nice. Awesome. I just I just think like I want a super like soulful voice. I think like most of the time it'll be uh is is sort of quieter, more soulful sounds, but occasionally when it needs to go big, he's the man for it. And yeah, I was worried that somebody else might nick him as a uh, <laughs> as a vocalist. So thought I'd thought I'd get him in there early. And the rest of my show. band will be more traditional sitting with the vibe. But, but yeah, that's my uh, that's my singer. Play a bit of acoustic guitar, I reckon. Absolutely. Always good when they've got some dual abilities. Marco, who's the first member? I'll just say first, awesome choice. But the reason I didn't go for someone like that is because I just feel like he won't beat the deers. I will with the setup that I've got behind him. No, no. Okay. Wait and see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> right. My bands, I mean, I don't really want to assign them a genre, frankly, because they, these guys are capable of any and everything. What I hope they go down <laughs> is uh, coming in big. Just kind of, you know, avant garde art pop. Bit of jazz in there. We'll, we'll get to it. But, you know, you need to have an anchor, you know? Mm-hmm. So drumming-wise, I need a guy who's seen it seen it all. You know, he's he's literally tied together a band for 40-odd years. And he's a great drummer. He doesn't overplay, his drums sound great. He's just gonna he's just gonna rock it there, do what he needs to do, not not steal the limelight, just keep everyone happy. It's Mick Fleetwood. Ah, great pick. Nice. Yeah, lovely stuff. Is he also going to be like songwriter? No. <laughs> no, he can count that shit. <laughs> Stick to playing drums. He could write his songs, but they're not getting uh, they're not getting any any time. Yeah, it's a great pick. A lot to be said for a like understated drummer. 
Yeah, I do think he's top though. I I really like his drumming, and he's done it in all different kinds of genres, just with Fleetwood Mac. It's a good choice. Okay, for my next pick though, I will follow suit and go for drummers. Um, and I'm going to pick the high hat wizard Stuart Copeland, most famously known for the Police. I always got the impression that Stuart Copeland was a bit of a drummer's drummer that like drummers really liked because I think he is quite technical, but in quite a sort of tight, tasteful way. So I always enjoyed the fact he he'd used to do a lot of like very brief fills or little interesting things on hi-hats that I always thought were pretty rad. And of course, his time with the police helps him to fit in with my, uh, my post-punk indie repartee so yeah my drummer on the door Stuart Copeland it's a solid rhythm section to be fair yeah uh you both named your drummer haven't you I'll mix it up a bit Ace next okay. I'm going Joe Dart as I I could have it was really tempting to put in loads of fork back because that was a lot along the uh like style that I wanted and I sort of decided if I was only having one actual member of Fullback in there, it had to be Joe Dart. I do have backups, but uh, but yeah, he's he's probably my favourite favourite bassist. I think like he's phenomenally good, which helps. But it's kind of not about that. Like I don't, I'm not anticipating. I think like Fullback are quite like they're quite bass led a lot of the time. Like they're really prominent in the mix and things like that and very busy. But I've heard him play on other albums where like simplicity is key and he's just doing what's kind of necessary for the song. And I think as you mentioned at the time, he played on the Theo Katzman album that we listened to. Yeah. And I, I love his bass playing on that because his bass sound is just gorgeous. Like he just has such a like beautiful, warm sound. And um yeah, I kind of figure do the classic like bass thing where you don't notice it half the time and then when you actually do notice a little little like riff or whatever you listen to the bass for a minute and realize that it's actually doing loads of cool stuff just like grooving away in the background that's what i want from uh from little joey dart and also i think he just brings like you know big stage presence it's high energy you know, I didn't. I didn't really think about like interpersonal relationships in my band either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're all going to hate each other. Oh, um, that's a big issue. No, I don't. No, I don't necessarily mean that him and him and Murray would get on. Well, <laughs> I just, I just think that he's uh, he just bring a little little groovy stage presence as well. Always bopping along, isn't he? I think Joe Dart is uh, a super bassist. I think, as you say, he can be really tasteful. He can be super technical, but he never seems to become obscene. Like even when he's kind of at his flashiest, it still has a kind of fun vibe about it. I guess kind of goes hand in hand with the style of music. But exactly, yeah. I think when he is super flashy, it's usually because it's not like he's been super flashy and there's loads going on around him. It's almost like the song is kind of written for him to be able to do that. And if there's tons going on in the rest of the song, then he just reins it in and yeah, just has his super cool little little tone going on. So for uh, sure. I think that's a superb choice. Cool. I'm gonna continue with bass as well. 
and um I'm going for a guy you've probably not heard of. I don't know that much of him either. I don't know why I've settled on this. I'll just say quickly, strongly considered Esperanza. Spalding. So did I to try and get a uh, female singer in there. Yeah. Um, I also considered Gayland Dorsey, who I primarily know from the David Bowie DVDs that I've got. Yeah, she um, was like Bowie's long-term session bassist, wasn't she, later on? Yeah, and she's got a mad voice. Like she sings the Freddie Mercury part on like under pressure and stuff and just absolutely nails it. But instead, I've gone for a slightly poncy pick, which is a, a guy who played in this group called the Goat Rodeo Sessions um with Chris Tyle and uh Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, Ma. yeah. Um which their first time was great, and it is the bassist of those guys called Edgar Mayer or Edgar Meyer. It's basically just a phenomenal uh, double bassist. Primarily classical, obviously some bluegrass stuff. Now, he's not going to be doing bluegrass in this group, but the reason I went for him is I think he's that good that I'd love to see how he adapted to potentially playing like electric bass and stuff. He'd get some double bass in there as well, which would be a treat because you don't hear much double bass in a traditional guitar band setup and yeah i just feel like he could work with anyone he's got like a well solid drama behind him doesn't have to worry about him at all so yeah i wanted someone that would add something different and he fit the bill ace i've got to admit i've not heard of him but i really bought into your explanation i've a couple of things one i really like that album and the like musicianship on it is ridiculous so yeah um, it's clearly a great basis. I also considered somebody who plays upright bass. And I also, the backup that I settled with is the bassist who played on Blackstar. So another oh, interesting. Bowie, Bowie session. It's not where I know him from either. It's just when I looked him up, he uh, apparently was the bassist on Blackstar. Just a bassist Sweet. that plays with scary pockets like all the time. <laughs> but yeah, cool pick. Ace. Um, I think I'm going to go for my vocalist because I think it is ultimately the most sort of obvious um, and least inspired, but it's obviously Elvis Costello on vocals plus guitar rhythm specifically. Um, Again, another songwriter. So I think arguments are going to be, uh, arguments are going to be abound. But I think of all of that sort of 70s, new wave isn't quite right, is it? Um, Post-punk era costello stands stands out as my favorite both kind of as a vocalist and as a songwriter um it, it was absolute sir that when i decided on this kind of era and style of music that uh costello was most likely going to be top of the top of the arrowhead i mean i can't argue with the choice all i would say is it feels like you're kind of getting costello into another band to do Costello, which he's already done. I mean, it, it, the whole band has to work around the premise. So, I mean, it's going to be what they've done. If it's something that they've never done before, then I can't really justify that it would work. <laughs> I want Elvis Costello to come in, but as a rapper this time. I mean, if it helps, I, <laughs> I've sort of picked a singer who's not, like, I'm convinced he can do that, but he's not really done that before. Yeah, no, that's fair. And it's not like I think there aren't other people who could do it, but... 
it's it's i guess i said this at the pub the other day like i've done the same thing i've picked people to do something that i haven't necessarily heard by them but i would want to hear because like if i considered certain people that i really like like using the same rationale i could say right i'll take black francis and uh put him with like i don't know bernard butler or something god knows but i just kind of feel like well he's owned it with the pixies like he's perfected that kind of music so i don't see the point in like putting him in another band with the similar kind of musicians i get your point i mean i came at it quite strongly from the idea that my band was going to be i guess from similar backgrounds and uh i take your point like i think it's it's absolutely arguable that people who are not from that background can fit your band but uh yeah, I've maybe think, gone a, a more literal approach. Yeah, it, this isn't a criticism, but I think you've very much gone for the uh, the all star approach. Like hmm. it's the uh, you know it's the Ringo finding the very best people they can manage to convince to come and play with him, sort of approach. Correct. Which I'm not not against at all, but yeah, and I think for yeah for the most part, I don't think I've done that. Maybe it's not as much as Mark, but. <laughs> But yeah, I'm not going to criticise you picking Costello. I'm uh, rather fond of his vocals myself. I guess that's it. I have taken it more of the aspect of the all-star band than the, uh, well, I don't know, the, the opposite. And there's loads <laughs> of, and in fact, there's loads of good examples of all-star bands. I definitely want to hear it. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was, uh, it'll be a quality combination so far. So unless you drop the ball on the uh, the last two, then I'm I'm in. But you might. Are we voting on the best one at the end? Right to the I mean, there's only three of us and we're just not going to vote for ourselves. <laughs> one, one, one. <laughs> I reckon one of us could talk Mark into voting for our band instead of his. <laughs> uh, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got vocalist. I've got a bassist. I'm going to go for a drummer. I can just... Like copy and paste what Mark said about uh, about Mick Fleetwood. Really, uh, I'm going. I guess I'm going. I'm, yeah, of course you can. Is it is it Steve Gadd? It is Steve Gadd. Yeah, nice. Good old Steve Gadd. When you mentioned, I think we chatted about this in the pub the other day, and Mark, you mentioned about picking a specific era, and um, Steve Gadd's done absolutely tons. So I'm kind of. Like narrowing in on like his his kind of basically playing with Steely Dan, I guess, where most of the time he's just doing things that are kind of appropriate for that sort of you know pop funk vibe that they want, where he's kind of busy but not particularly loud. So it's kind of it's uh, yeah in keeping, but yeah, there's loads of little interest thrown in. Um, and then, yeah, when he needs to bring it, he's he's more than capable of, uh, of bringing it. But yeah, I have gone big guns on the drummer, I guess, because he's played with everyone, hasn't he? And, uh, I think that's fair. And uh, the like, I was just gonna say the the snare roll beat on Fifty Ways to Lose Your Lover might be just one of my favourite drum beats. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure is why I'm aware of who Steve Gadd is because it's so cool that I probably looked up who the drummer was the first time I heard it. But yeah, since, like, previous to that and since that, yeah, everything he's done has pretty much been gold. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
Okay. Uh, I don't know whether to to drop the the bomb at this point or um or to hold off it through embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save it. It'll be such a glorious moment. Okay, we'll, we'll save it to last. Uh, wild card then. <clears throat> Excuse me. So wild card is a jazz trumpeter called Eric Truffas. Who I'm a fan of. He's uh, he's had various different quartets over the years, and he does a mixture of kind of these languid, Shep Baker esque trumpet lines that they're never particularly intricate or anything. They're very just floaty and everything. But then he mixes it up with like loads of kind of processed modern sounds. Um. And he's dabbled in rock music, like rap music, obviously always rooted in jazz. But I think he would be an awesome kind of addition to a band. He's got a great sense of melody. I think he'd fill in some really nice gaps and just work really well with the other people. And, well, you know, uh, Mother Tongue have done it, but I don't think there's many bands that have a... uh, have a trumpet player, and it's something I quite like. Awesome. Uh, right, I'm going to keep my wild card back, I think. Um, so I will fill in my guitarist slot. Uh, and I have picked Richard Lloyd from television to be my lead guitarist. I've got to admit, it's pretty much based off one album. Um, but I think he picks the just weirdest lines, and he has this kind of staccato quite clean sort of way of playing um, that I think he stands out quite uniquely amongst a lot of, you know, fairly similar guitarists of that, of that time period. And yeah, I think he kind of cultivates something pretty interesting. Uh, he's another singer, not sure his voice is, is going to go because his voice is, uh, is unusual, but maybe some three part harmonies are on the, on the cards. And I have to step in here, Will. Uh, he's not the singer of television. Oh, is he not? Is he just a guitarist? Yeah. So you might have got it wrong on both fronts. Richard Lloyd is awesome. Like, he's a fantastic pick and he would actually suit your band. But from your explanation, it sounded like you were talking about Tom Verlaine. Um, because Who like plays he, lead guitar? They both do. I see. You see, they, they tricked you. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they both kind of take it in turns in different songs, and Lloyd tends to do the more technical, kind of fast, like melodic stuff, and mm-hmm. Verlaine tends to do the more kind of all over the place. So, like the song "Marky Moon," like the eight minute one, the extended break in the middle—that's Verlaine, as an example. And that complicates things because oh, which which to pick. <laughs> <laughs> They're both great. I mean, to be honest, you can't go wrong with either. Basically, if you want to be a bit more mad for Lane, if you want to just have someone who is just a bloody rock solid top guitar player, Lloyd. Well, you've already got uh, Costello just, uh, you know, rhythm guitar in it for you, though. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. So I'm going to have to make a sort of a cheeky sub based on an error. <laughs> 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 Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into the madness then, as you say. Costello fills out my rhythm guitar section. I kind of don't need another solid rhythm guitar. Uh, 
So yeah, born of a born of a mistake. Uh, I'm subbing in Verlaine as my guitarist because I want that. I want the mad uh, solo shit. Ah, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. I'm gonna go guitar as well for a bit. In fact, I've actually still got Chris Thiley written down, who obviously I wanted to play mandolin and not guitar. Would have really changed the vibe of my band. Um, I mean, I'm 100%. Is that a bad thing. No, no, I'm 100% sure he could have done it. Like, I've seen him play um, acoustic funk before, and he's just incredibly good at it. Um, but I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with a guy called Shrub Saran. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, who I've been listening to quite a bit of recently. It's like a, I don't know, like a modern jazz guitarist, I guess. I just think he's a phenomenal guitarist. The reason I'm aware of him is because he plays, um, like I know his band toured with Adam Neely's band. Uh, Will knows who that is. But Sungazer? Sungazer, yeah. Um, and he, he pops up on uh, whenever Adam Neely's doing actual music. He pops up as the guitarist, basically, every time he needs a guitarist. And like his... His solo stuff is so like technically excellent. Like he's just he's effortless. You know, he's playing like really fast, like picking riffs, and it just sounding like so light and yeah, just easy. But then whenever he plays stuff just with Adam Neely, it's just it's giving what sort of appropriate for whatever weird little bit of incidental music he needs, and so it's it's not technically proficient is just yeah super appropriate and nice like I just got the ability to be tasteful yeah that's it like I think he's got such a good ear um and such a nice tone whilst also being yeah technically excellent I think he'd be great at doing that sort of groove based little interesting riffs and stuff so yeah that's my guitarist concur good choice Okay, so guitar for me, this is this is where it gets interesting. Annie Clark, St. Vincent. Don't know how familiar you guys are with St. Vincent. A little bit. But no of them. Yeah, no. <laughs> absolutely going to be picking them as an artist in the future. Been listening to a, a bit this week. Dead interesting. She's like an awesome, super creative guitarist she's also got a fantastic voice and she is going to be co-leading this band but yeah she's she's just well interesting like guitar tones all over the place like loads of mad fuzz and like she'll occasionally like go into kind of funk stuff but then some of her songs are almost kind of like disney musical influenced or whatever it's just it's a mad combination but I think her combination with my front person is what's going to make or break my band because what the other person will bring, she will completely come from the other side. And I think the combination between the two could be really interesting. All righty. Yeah, I can't say I've listened to a lot of St. Vincent, but I've kind of broadly familiar, but um, it sounds interesting, man. We look forward to to if you pick it as an album. I'm also yeah. looking forward to. I forgot it was your vocalist that you've got left. That's your mad mm-hmm. pick. 
<laughs> I'm looking forward know. to hearing what they polar opposite from uh, from that is. Averotti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, well, all that's left for my band is the wild card choice, and um, I think this is the choice that might sort of upend the band and make or break the uh, the band as a whole. I've gone for him sort of primarily as a keys player, but all around as a kind of producer and sound engineer. And that man is Thomas Dolby. He has a bizarre solo oh, career. Christ <laughs> An absolutely bizarre solo career. The last like... person I expected you to say. Yeah, I know. God, love it. I'm really pleased with it. <laughs> Loads of just weird songs that are basically experiments in in sound. And um, I just think he would bring uh, an absolute sense of like complete bizarreness over the top of my otherwise pretty straightforward kind of post-punk band. I think he'd be a gonna... little levity as well, to be honest. Like, Absolutely. I want all of the... All of the sound effects. I want all of the like little captions of voice. I'd want him to be writing the lyrics as well. He doesn't need to get involved <laughs> in the songwriting, but Costello, <laughs> lyric writing on your bike, yeah. right? On onto Dolby. I, I really hoped you were going to say um, Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> Another... <laughs> oh God, that would have been good. Another singer-songwriter. Just... <laughs> You know what? If you want two two wild card picks, I'll let you put Elton John in as well. Also have Elton John. Get him in there. <laughs> Just imagine Elvis Costello singing the circle of life. <laughs> actually, that I would really like to see. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Tolby oh. doing I'm whatever bored. it is he's doing. <laughs> Just making mad electronic sounds i kind of wanted a keys player and i went through a few options but i thought dolby offers like i think he's a he's a decent enough keys player but he offers a wide range of uh 80s level electronica did you consider eno actually i didn't but that would have been an excellent choice and under the same kind of premise not as funny though (laughs) is it your last choice andy yeah, I think it's my wild card. Let's hear it. I'm going to go with Grace Jones, who, well, you might be aware of because she plays with frequent flyers. Um, okay. Um, but she, she's played with tons of stuff. She's a saxophone player. Yeah, unbelievably good vocalist. Like her band is, like her songwriting is really good as well. Super interesting. Uh, it's mainly kind of modern jazz. There's a there's a big jazz vibe running through mine. Although I want him to play <laughs> to play funk, there's definitely a uh, a jazz leaning going on there. I'm expecting a few solos. I'm expecting a lot of a lot of backing vocals. And I've seen her play piano on a video, so I know she can play some, which is important to me. <laughs> my my original versatility wild, is important. Yeah, my I really wanted some keys in there. When you first said Grace Jones, my immediate thought was to model and one-time pop star Grace 100%. Jones as your backing was... singer. Sorry, very forgot. disappointed when it wasn't her. Oh fucking hell! I'm gonna to have to start again because I didn't. That's not her name. 
Right. <laughs> it's Grace, and it's Grace Kelly, which is another famous yes, it is. name. Yeah. We can make the same joke again if you want. No, it's fine. We can leave all this in. I'm certainly not doing it again. Uh, I, so. I still think it should have just been Grace Jones, to be honest. Yeah, she would have been great. <laughs> yeah. I um, think it it um, settles my heart that we've both made mistakes. <laughs> yeah, cool. I wrote down Grace Jones as well on my list. Like, I've just read it. Her name is Grace Kelly. So why I wrote that down, I don't know. Well, probably because of Grace Jones, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your true desire. Anyway. She can sing. She can sing. She can sing, yeah. Anyway, my pick is Grace Kelly for clarification. Marco, I think it's time to round us off with you, with your mad vocalist. Well, it's not that mad. It's just one that I know will be strongly disagreed with, and that's fine. I've gone with someone because I like their voice, and I actually think they're a pretty damn good musician. Decent guitarist, really good pianist, you know, getting the mix in this band, like most people can do a few things. Um, it's Chris Martin, Coldplay. I think put him in an environment where it's not commercially led and he's in with a group of people who are going to possibly reel in his commercial sensibilities. <laughs> I think it could be an awesome combination. And I think he would work super well with St. Vincent. I think the two of them would cook up some well interesting songs between them. They're both great singers. I think their voices would combine really well. You got a solid drummer, bassist who's going to go all over the place. And then you've got, you know, a top notch jazz trumpetist like supporting them. It would be the kind of thing you wouldn't have heard before. And I think it could be super interesting. And what's the point in just being like, you know, I'll get this person who's really good at this to go and do the same thing in another band. I want to see what people I kind of like can do, which they haven't done before. Agreed. Has Chris Martin ever done anything outside of Coldplay, really? Um, I don't think I've heard anything. Not a huge amount. I mean, he's he's done like some duets and whatnot. But I genuinely think he's got a top voice, particularly like early Coldplay. He's, uh, you know, I mean, early on, he was basically just doing Jeff Buckley style stuff, like massive yeah. falsetto, like, you know, he's kind of being diluted, but I still like his tone. Yeah, I, um, I, I get why you expect him us to criticise it. Maybe Will's going to jump in and do that, but... My criticism of Coldplay's never been Chris Martin's voice. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize too hard. He's not he's not particularly my cup of tea, but much as Andy said, like my problem with Coldplay isn't isn't specifically his performance, but I, I just I think their song has become increasingly less interesting. But that is not the point because that's not the band he's in anymore. Exactly. Um, that that is the whole point of it. And I think you... you've justified I mean, not not justified Chris uh Chris Martin to me, but You've justified his selection. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. There's our uh, <laughs> our super groups. Now let's uh, get in contact with all of the members, put them together, and they can all release the same single in their own different versions. 
I mean, it's going to be. I'm looking down my list and I'm thinking. I mean, a couple of them I, I reckon I could get on board, but I mean, yours is hard, Will. Yours is real hard. <laughs> I can't. I can't see you calling up Costello and uh, getting him sold on that. I think Dolby will be up for it. Dolby, Dolby, be right on board. It'd be game. It's probably like Dolby, be like I've um I've been working in Blockbuster for the last ten years. Like I'm not. <laughs> you wouldn't even know who to call on guitar. <laughs> I uh, can speak to television's manager. Yeah, one of the guitarists I really like. I'm, uh, I'm interested in getting him involved in a project. You get to play a bit down the phone. I'll work out which one. Have you got Grace Jones's number? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, very fair. Good, mad bands. Oh, names. What were the band names? You can't I... tell me now. You've not got one, Mark. This was your... <laughs> this was your play. <laughs> Um, I, I I came up with one in in thirty seconds outside, which is terrible, but that's that's fine. So uh, I'm going to call mine the uh, shipwreck redemption. Oh, nice! Oh, Christ, that's good. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I mean, I put about the same time thought in, but less effort. Uh, you asked me to come up with a name just before we started, and I came up with toaster. Yeah, you know what? No, I appropriate. I completely agree. Like yours has to be a one word, just a name of something. Like I'd yeah. love, to, I'd love to just call my band like Beef, but it doesn't. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't fit with a five. I smell like it? beef. So yeah, my band's just called Toaster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. I don't know at all. Um, it was the first thing I thought of, so I'm going to go with it. It's got to be uh, shrouded in a little bit of mystery, I think. There's a little mystery element to, uh, you know, mystery chords, mystery vibes. So I'm going to go with the understudies. Nice. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> it sounds That's like a cool. uh, sounds like a session band. Hmm. I could play with loads of people like Grace Jones and the understudies. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. Yeah, I do prefer beef, though. <laughs> <laughs> we are beef. <laughs> Sponsored by OXO. Hi guys, Andy here. Uh, quick editor note for you. Uh, we actually forgot to record an outro, so I've asked Will to record one so I can just drop it in. Hopefully he's recorded it in his car, maybe on a Nokia 3310. Uh, okay, so next week's choices are my choices. And for the film, I'm going to go for the platform. Uh, for the album, I'm going to pick Largo by Brad Meldow. And instead of a top five, I'm going to be setting you both uh, a quiz to quiz off against each other. Perfect. Thanks, Will. But that's all from us at Screen and Needle Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week. We'll do another film, another album, and a quiz. Bye-bye. We are beef. We, 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 we are beef. We, 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 we are the big, big, beef. We are beef. We, 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 we.
We are beef. We 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 are beef. We are beef.